Great, great. Well, today I'm going to begin my series. I'm going to start a two-part series. And um, my series, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. One thing I love about God is that God always finds ways to surprise me. He finds ways to surprise me. And I'm going to tell you about one of the surprises in a few minutes, which will make sense for the smile that I have on my face. But the series that I've entitled today, and I will hopefully you guys can interact with me, and even those of you guys online tuning in at home, even though I can't hear you, hopefully you can interact with me as well, because I, I truly believe that when we say certain things, we help our minds not only remember it, but we also challenge ourselves to be accountable towards it in order to achieve in it. Do you guys follow? Yeah. Only one of you. You guys follow? Yeah. I'm going to call some people's names out in a moment. Do you guys follow online? Yeah, you're lucky. I can't see you. Don't worry. Don't worry. But my title of the series is Do the Work. It's a two-part series. My title of the series is Do the Work. Share with your neighbor next to you, do the work. And part one is entitled, as the media team has shared, is what is in your hand? What is in your hand? What is in your hand? Tell your neighbor what is in your hand. Tell the person on the other side of you what is in your hand. Tell the person in front of you or behind you what is in your hand. And as I'm sharing this message, what is in your hand, I'm going to share a particular scripture, but I found it interesting how our hands are used for many things. Our hands are used to write, to play keys, to play guitar, to sing, to give high five, to collect money, collect your coins, to preach, to give money. Oh, I love that PG. That was a conviction for some people. <laughs> what is in your hands? What do you use your hands for? How has God used your hands? What could you use your hands to do after today's sermon? But as I look at the theme of do the work and looking at part one of what is in your hands, we're going to look at the life of Moses predominantly throughout today's message. And I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through to 4. And as per usual, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through to 4. Once you're there, say aye. Pardon me. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through to 4. If you're there, say aye. One person, two. And it goes as follows. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they do not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So that the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? Tell your neighbor what is in your hand. He said, A rod. Verse 3. And the Lord said, Cast it on the ground. So he casted it on the ground. And it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for today's message. I thank you, O oh God, for all that you've done in us and what you're going to continue to do through us, O oh Lord. And Lord, I just want to just pray, O oh Lord, that as we in this first series and part one of this series, do the work. I pray, O oh Lord, that we can examine what is in our hands, what is in our hearts, what gifts, what positions, 
what places you've put us in in order to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen? Amen. For some of us, as soon as I said the overarching theme or the title of the series is do the work, for some of us, we heard the word work, and we're like, oh, not that word again. Work. How many of you guys love work? How many of you guys like work? How many of you guys want to change your work? How many of you guys are still praying for soft life? <laughs> oh, many hands went up, boy. And if there's one thing I've come to learn, unfortunately, is that God requires us to do the work. God requires us to do the work. I've come to realize at times in my life and some others that people are still praying for things when God is like, get up, do the work. Come to realize that times were like, God, I still need this, I need that. And God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? Get up, do the work. God, I want more finances, I want blessings, it's my time and my season of breakthrough. And God is like, here's a seed. Get up, do the work. And the interesting thing about doing the work is that we would sometimes run from the work, and just like the exam I just gave you guys, how many of you guys love your job? A few. How many of you guys kind of like it? A few. How many of you guys hate it? How many of you guys want soft life? Me, 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 me. Your grace is sufficient for me. But do we really want to do the work? Do you want to do the work? Emmanuel, why, why, do, why work? Why work when I could just have abundant life and God could just pour it in my lap? Because you have to ask the first man in Adam that God even gave him a job to do for him to do the work. You've heard me say at times that who created the animals? It's not a trick question. Who created the animals? Who named the animals? You had to do the work. I heard many people say, yeah, man, this is my guy. What does your guy do? Nothing. You better run from him because he needs to find work because God first gave man a job before he gave him a bride. Do the work. And some of you might be like, so why does part one entail what is in your hand? It's because we realize if many of you guys have followed the story of Moses, after killing somebody, he flees from Egypt. He flees. He flees from this place that he was born and raised in. He flees and he goes to live a life in his father-in-law's house. And he's living a comfortable life. He's got routine. Everything's going in the pace that it needs to. He knows what to do when he gets up. He knows what he needs to do before he goes to bed. He knows where his wife is, that everything is in order. But how many of you guys know that God is good at shaking tables? He's good at shaking tables. Like, God, I'm comfortable. Wait a minute, I'm coming. <laughs> and sometimes, like, why is life doing this to me? And God's like, I'm about to grow you. But before I grace you, I need to grow you. But for me to grow you, I need to stretch you. But for me to stretch you, I need you to understand that your comfort zone is a cool place. A nice place, but nothing great grows there. Your comfort zone is a cool place, a nice place, but nothing great grows there. Notice I didn't say nothing good, because good things can come from comfort zones, but great things require work. Don't ask anyone that has achieved anything great. Unfortunately, that team that I hate, even though I love their manager in Manchester City, decided to join the wonderful team of Manchester United and win in the treble. As much as I was hurt, as much as I was frustrated, I applauded. Someone said, yeah, I don't know why they're in this place. <laughs> and why did I applaud? I applauded because they've been to the final before. 
They've lost in the final before. They could have said, forget it, we'll never win the Champions League. For those that watched the game, they saw in the first half that they didn't play to their usual best. Why? Because sometimes the work is not only physical, it's psychological. And that psychological blockage of, but I've been here before and I failed. And how do I, how do I know I'm going to pass this time? Lord, I've been here before. It looks the same. It feels the same, but I can't move. And sometimes that leads us to a place of purpose paralysis and you don't perform like the way you're used to. But God still requires you to do the, do the work. And they triumphed. As they triumphed, they began to reflect on the work that they've been preparing for this for years. First, always stumbling in the quarterfinals, then stumbling in the semifinals, then even stumbling in the finals, but they chose to persevere to do the work. If that is a sports team that are doing something that is not that have probably no direct purpose to their God-given purpose, how about you and I? What is in your hand? What is in your hand? You see, this is interesting because when you begin to understand what's happening to Moses in this period, as many of you guys, I'll encourage you guys to go and study in Exodus chapter 3 onwards, you would see that Moses sees a burning bush. Like, what's going on here? It's burning, but it's not being consumed. What's going on here? God tells him, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Oh, you need to change your posture. For some of us, taking off our sandals might mean to change the work attire that you're in because God is about to change the direction of your life. But are you willing to be obedient to God? Or are you too willing to say, God, I'm used to this condition. I've always done this. Because for some of us, we know you can't walk into certain people's houses with your shoes on. Yeah, but I'm not wearing socks. That's not my business. Take your shoes off before you get into this house. Are you willing to do the work? And God is showing him things and God is telling him and he says, but who should I say sent me? He says, I am. Tell them I am that I am is the one that sent me. Can you imagine going to somebody like, yeah, I'm meant to be here. Who told you that? I am that I am. People look at you, please, it's not a place for you. And what am I saying there is that I'm saying that sometimes God doesn't give you all the details, but he does give you the overview. He doesn't always give you all the full details, but he gives you the overview. Go to this place. Do this and do that. Hey, but go, mm, 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 mm. go to this place. Do this. And do that. Comprende? Okay, God doesn't say comprende, but you guys get the gist. And until we're willing to be obedient to walk with God wants us to do, we may not fully understand. But let's dissect what's happening here in Exodus chapter 4. Verse 1, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to my voice. I'll pause there. Suppose they do not believe me or listen to my you see, one thing I love here is that Moses is giving God an overview without telling him intrinsically what's happening to him, even though God knows exactly what he means. Because even though he says, suppose they do not believe me, guess what I believe Moses is really focusing on? Listening to my voice. But Emmanuel, how did you come to that conclusion? Because Moses knew he was a stammerer. Moses knew he was slow with speech. Why am I sharing this with you? Because for some of us, we look at our deficiencies, we look at what we're not good at, and that's what we used to qualify that, God, I can't go. I'm not good at this, so I can't go. God, but I, this is not my accolade, so I can't go. God, I'm not worthy of this, so I can't make it. God, you know what, maybe this is not really for me, but I can't go. But he coats it with, but God, they won't believe me. What it may mean is that, what about my voice? Suppose they say that the Lord has not appeared to you. Because for some of us, the voice in our head of our deficiencies, the voice in our head of the things we're not good at, the voice in our head that tells us of our past mistakes of where we once failed is louder than the voice of God. 
and we forget that God's voice is a still small voice. And if God's voice is a still small voice and the voice in your head is loud, you need to do the work in order to hear God's voice clearer so you can be more obedient to it. Because even an empty barrel makes the loudest noise. But things with substance, it's quite dense. You need to be attentive to hearing that sound. Verse 2, then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. Cast it on the ground. Cast it on the ground. God examined what was in his hand. My question to you and I today is that, what is in your hand? I say that by meaning what gifts has God given you? What has God called you to do? God's called me to be a singer. Yeah. God's called me to be an accountant. God's called me to be a doctor. God's called me to be a preacher. God's called me to be an evangelist. What's God called you to do? Cast it to the ground. Maybe metaphorically casting it to the ground must be that, are you willing to dedicate that gift I've given to you back to me? Same way Abraham, yeah, I'm going to dedicate my son to you. Yeah, I want your son. Give it to me. Cast it to the ground. For where does man come from? The ground. Cast it to the ground. Place it before me. And he places it before him. And straight away he sees a what? Snake. Hey! Was my wonderful... Mum was saying, you're about angel. Yeah. Trust me, you can't even put on a video of snakes in front of my mum. She's running from the phone, let alone in the physical. And as I was preparing the sermon, I was reminding myself of when I touched a snake once. And I remember touching a snake once. It was in my primary school days. Thank God it was one of those long pythons. There was like a, a kind of zoo place in um, not too far from Oliver Goldsmith School, which is around the back, for anyone that knows Peckham very well, uh, the Fire Brigade, anyone know the Fire Brigade in Peckham? Around that place, this was many years back, so I'm sure it doesn't exist anymore. And we went there as a school, and you can imagine me being young and cool. They're like, all right, all of us are going to hold the snake. Thank God they made a minimum of 10 of us hold the snake. I was in the middle, and everyone had to hold the snake. And I was the first, has anyone held a snake before here? That was the first time I held a snake. And I felt the bones move underneath the skin. And I, I mean, <laughs> And I throw that, Emmanuel, it's okay. No, no, try one more time. And I touch, no, 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 I can't do it. The feeling of just feeling bones move through the skin. No, it's a different feeling. It's not my portion. It's not my calling in life. And I just put my hands down. But what's interesting here is that we see in verse 3, he tells him to, he tells him to put it on the ground and, and he sees a snake and Moses flees from it. Please hold on to what I'm sharing with you here because I'm going to give you a conclusion at the end of the sermon that relates to this. And verse 4, what does the Lord say? He says, the Lord says to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the what? Tail. I started thinking, I don't know if you guys have ever seen one guy online, he's quotes of the real Tarzan, um, black guy, handsome guy, big, beautiful, shiny, Colgate white teeth. And I've seen him when he plays with all these animals and these snakes. But I'm like, when I've seen him, he catches the snake just underneath the jaw. And I'm like, but when he catches it there, so that way you can defuse from this attack. If you catch it by that position, it can attack you. But any of us know that before you can even choose to do something like that, you need to be an expert in your field. Because <laughs> if you try to do it, I go, yeah, your hand is gone. <laughs> that venom is finishing you. Why does God tell Moses to grab it by the tail? Maybe for some of us, the gift that God has given to us, we look at the goals that it entails and we become scared of it. And God is like, maybe start with the small steps. Maybe start in a position where you still have enough control, but you also have enough distance to be able to retreat. Grab it by the tail. It's distinctive. God didn't say just grab the snake. He said grab it by the tail. And it turned back to a what? Rod. For some of us, we know that if you ever have a child and the child is scared of something, you tell him to almost maybe stroke the animal at a part of the animal that doesn't scare the child. 
I don't like his teeth. Okay, then come and stroke his back. Stroke the tail. What am I saying? I'm saying that God will still require you to do the work, but he may give you a simple building block so you can get started. But for some of us, we make excuses. Like, God, I can't go anywhere near it. God, I can't do nothing about it. Mm-mm. No, no excuses. I've commanded you. I've given you a calling. Start from there. You've got no excuse now. When he turns back to Rod, he realizes, oh, oh, I, I can do this. Oh, I, I can do this. And as much as there are many things for us to learn within this, we need to understand when God has given us a calling of what we need to handle, we also need to understand that God knows what we need. God knows that he's given us courage. God knows he's given us boldness, but we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to be obedient? Sometimes the problem is not about fear, it's about obedience. And you need to ask yourself, which God are you going to serve? The God of fear? God of anxiety? The God of what the naysayers are thinking? What friends and family are thinking? Or the true living God that says, I know everything that you're thinking. And trust me. Trust me. Point number two. What is in your heart as well as your hand? What is in your heart as well as your hand? In the latter part of Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 through to 17, it goes as follows. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses really is breaking down his fears, boy. He doesn't even say I'm slow of speech. He said I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So you're a stammerer and you're a slow stammerer. That is a, that's a lot. That's a lot. Thank God Moses didn't have any recorded TV. Because I know certain people, they don't like hearing themselves. Imagine watching yourself back. You're like, that's what I really sound like. Oh, his fears might have gone tenfold. Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, but who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Verse 12. Now therefore, go. Someone say go. Go and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. <laughs> you see, if there's one thing I love about God, if you notice he starts with go. I told you, God gives you the overview. He doesn't always give you the full details. Because to go is to have faith. Because the last time I read my word, it tells me without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if it's impossible to please God with faith, that means the reason where you are staying, why you're staying there is that the, the God of fear has led you to a place of purpose paralysis and now the God who has a still small voice, you don't even want to listen to anymore. Go. Go. And when you go, I'm going to show you exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, but God, and you know sometimes, it gets to the problem with humans. We get so close to where God wants us to be and we're like, God, tell me now. Forgetting that God still wants us to either enter or go in and then things happen. I'll share with you. Has anyone ever been in that place where you're like, God, I don't know what to do here. And just at that moment, at that very moment, it's like, oh, I just said it. Or it just came out. Has anyone ever been there? Well, you're evangelizing. You're like, I don't even know what to tell that person. But I'm just going to go. Like, yo, hi. Yeah. Do you know Jesus? You're like, you don't even know what to say. Then you say one thing. And like, how, did you, how did you know that? And you're like, I don't know. But the question is, that: are you willing to go? See, God doesn't need you perfect. He needs you obedient. So which God are you going to serve? And some of us don't even realize that we don't even say an our father. We're saying our fear. And we need to change our internal way of thinking in order to bring a breakthrough that God wants us to use us through. Go. Verse 13. 
And he said, oh my Lord, please send by hand. Look what he says there. Please send by hand of whomever else whom you may send. Please send by hand. He's taking it to another level. He's still using God's word against him. What's in your hand? No, you send by hand. You grab somebody and take them there because me, God, I'm not the one. I've been out of Egypt a long time. There's no way I'm going back there. And guess one thing I've learned about God? For some of us, God has delivered us. But for some of us, God has taken us back to the place that he's delivered us from so we can deliver others. But God is cool here. This job is cool here. I'm going to give you another job, which is half the salary, because I know I'm taking half the salary. No, definitely not me. Get behind me, Satan. That's clearly not my prayer point. But we forget that God's ways are not our ways. But you don't even know that half the salary is going to lead you to a deeper and greater place of prosperity where there is milk and honey. But you're satisfied with grass and water. You don't realize you're in this place. Yeah, I've got this grass, the land, water, sustenance, milk and honey. Not just milk and honey, flowing. God, I'm not used to it. I've never seen it before. And that's why God tells us to go. Because if you've seen it before, you won't need faith. If you don't need faith, maybe it's not big enough for God to call you to go. And why does God tell us to go? Because I serve a God that he looks at the rod in your hand, but he reminds us that we are crooked sticks that he uses to make straight lines. That's the God that we serve. What are you going to do about the thing that is in your hand? Use someone else. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. I paused there for a moment. Because if any of you guys have ever read that scripture for the first time, I'm like, oh, God's like, oh, you're not ready. Call you somebody else. But God doesn't do that. He goes as follows. And look. He's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. And we're like, oh, thank God. Moses, you can imagine Moses like, oh, thank God. Yeah, maybe you're going to choose my brother here. Yeah, my brother can speak well, not me. But what does God say? Verse 15. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I'll be with your mouth and his mouth. And I'll teach you what you shall do. Verse 16. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be as who? She be to him as who? God. There's position. Sometimes we're always waiting for God to choose second best. And God says, you are second best. Because God is first best. So while we're waiting for God to pick someone better, God is already better. That's why he's chosen you. And the reason why he chooses you is because when he knows what's in your hand, he wants to know, do you trust him with the process? Because that's why we always want the soft life. Because everyone wants to avoid the process. Because at times the process is painful. The process is lonely. And if you've ever been on a long journey without a sat-nav, you never know how long it's going to take for you to get there. But on the way home, you're like, oh, yeah, I know. You say bye to everyone, cool, because you can, you can measure the time. But one of the most challenging parts of life is when you cannot measure the pain in the process. And many of us avoid the process. That's how many people go gym to get this outcome, but they don't want to endure the process. And until we tell ourselves, I want to make it a lifestyle. I want to make it a hobby. I want to make it something I just want to do regularly, regardless of the outcome. Because what we forget, just that working out, sometimes it's work, things are working out inside of you before it's working external. But every, every single one of us wants to celebrate the external even when the internal is not being developed. It goes like, don't worry about the outcome. Trust me in the process. You might not like the process, but trust me in the process. 
verse 15. Sorry, not verse 15, verse 17. And you shall take the rod in your you shall take the rod in your hand and which all you shall and sorry, and which you shall do the signs. Why is this important? The rod in your hand, for that, if I was to use it in a dynamic way for your lives, is that the rod in your hand might be your gift. The rod in your hand might be your assignment. The rod in your hand might be your calling. The rod in your hand might be exactly what God has told you to do in this particular time. But the question is that many of us, we haven't thrown the rod away, we just put it in the corner. And we left it as decoration. People come, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I know. And if you grew up in my upbringing, my parents was really good. My mum and my stepdad once upon a time went to um, invest in encyclopedias. The leather binding, brown on the outside by the spine, and then another color of leather. And it was, guess what? The stenciled writing was in gold. And they had it in order on the shelf. And when people used to come to the house, I was like, ah, encyclopedias, you know. We are people of knowledge. We read in this house. Ask me how many of us read all the encyclopedias. <laughs> and that's exactly how we treat the gift in our hand. But what we forget is that the gift in your hand has no use if you place it in the corner of your room because some people's hearts and the hope in their hearts is failing because you haven't chosen to pick up your gift. So guess what I'm trying to tell you? It's not about you. But God blesses you through you because you've chosen to be obedient to him. Point number three. Walk in faith while God lengthens and strengthens you. Walk in faith while God lengthens and strengthens you. To use another fitness analogy once again, some of you probably saw while I was doing praise and worship, I was raising my hand, but my right arm was moving a bit funny. I've injured myself in the gym. I told myself, yes, not only summer body, permanent body would be my portion. And I decided to raise the weight to another level. And as I was raising the weight, I thought, yeah, I can do this. And for some of you guys know that sometimes pride comes before the fall. Yeah, don't worry, I'm falling, but God is catching me at the same time. And as I was like, yeah, this weight is heavy, but I can do it. I didn't know I strained something. And guess what? That's why you need to be, not only be aware of what's in your hand, you also need to be mindful of how you use your hands. You need to be mindful how you use certain gifts. You need to be mindful that pride, you don't, once you realize what's in your hands, you don't allow it to be puffed up in pride inside of you. Because if there's one thing I've learned is that just that working out, as you begin to grow in strength, you also need to stretch. You need to lengthen and you need to strengthen. But we forget that we understand that when it comes to workout, but we forget that God does that when he works out our lives so we can grow in him. He lengthens us to strengthen us. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. So God rewards those who diligently seek him. But if we diligently seek him, when we seek him, God gives us an assignment. And when he gives us an assignment, we have to have faith in order to do the assignment. But if we don't do the assignment, then are we really seeking him? And if we're not really seeking him, then we do we truly trust God? And if we don't truly trust God, is God really pleased with us? Not are you saved. Is God pleased with you? He says it to John the Baptist. When Jesus is being baptized, this is my son, my only begotten son, who I am well pleased. It's God pleased with you. Don't just be the believer that says, yeah, I want to get to heaven. Be the believer that says, God, I want you to be pleased with me. God, I want you to say that, well done. I know you failed, but you tried again. Well done. We do it with our children. We do it with our nieces and nephews. We do it with our young ones. But we don't do it with ourselves. Well done. 
Walk in faith while God lengthens and strengthens you, stretching you to increase your capacity so that when you're at that level and you see other people stumble or fail or fall, you can encourage them, don't worry, keep going. I know what it's like. I've been there. But trust me, with God, you can do it. And my next point in point four is that faith with works does wonders. Faith with works does wonders. James chapter 2, verse 4 through to 17. What does it profit a brethren if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can faith save him? If his brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily, of daily food, and one says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things that is needed for their body, what does it profit? Does faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead? It's dead. You have faith, man. You have faith. God has given you a gift. What have you done with it? Yeah, it's nice. The encyclopedia is in my room. It's dead. It's dead. Maybe we just need to change our perspective to not think of the promise or the prosperity that we can gain, but the people that we can help gain for the kingdom. Maybe if we change our perspective, that if I use my gift to the maximum of my ability, we can empty hell and fill up heaven by God's grace. Are we going to change our perspective that we know that faith with works does wonders? Which leads me to my next point. Do the work with all your might and it will help you fulfill God's will. Do the work with all your might and it will help you fulfill God's will. Why am I saying this? Because a particular scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10 goes as follows. Whatever your hands find to do, whatever your hands find to, whatever your hands find to, it's whatever your hands find to do. Do with all your, do with all your, it's all of your might. Not some of your might, not a bit of your might, not 80 or 90% of your might, with all of your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are. Do you want me to give you a reality check? We are all going to die. We are all going to die. God forbid, how dare you say that to me? Let me add to that. We are all going to die one day physically on this side of eternity to live with God in eternity forever. But the death for the believer is what you pass through. It's not what you stay in. You pass through death because Christ has conquered it. But why am I telling you this? Because Ecclesiastes understood that there is no knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Which means while you are here on earth, you better maximize everything God has given you on this side of eternity because you don't know what you're going to need to do in the next side. And one of the last places to ever be. You know, you know what's interesting about life? Sometimes we can be like, oh, I wish I got that. I wish I did that, you know. I wish I did that. And what we're saying we wish we did that, we still have time to do it. But when you're on the other side of eternity, you have all of eternity to wish you did that. Which means there are things God wants us to do on this side. There is an assignment that only works on this side of eternity. And if we don't maximize it, why be in, I'm in heaven, who cares? No, but you should care. Because if there's one thing I want to do is learn to die empty. Where I can say, I am spent. I've given my all. 
because when I'm weak, then I am made strong through Christ who strengthens me. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because one thing I've come to understand is that you need to do with all your might and with all your will. Why? Because to do the work depends on your future. To do the work depends on your family. To do the work depends on your friendships. To do the work even depends on what happens to your foes so that you know. To do the work ultimately is connected to God's glory. To do the work. Well done and good and faithful servant. The Bible tells us to renew your mind. It didn't say renew your body. Many of us were trying to protect our body and we've forgotten our mind. See, Moses forgot his mind. He's like, no, 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 no. No, I just want to preserve my body. I'm not going back to Egypt. I can't go back there. No, do you want me to die? Do you know what, just, do you know what happens in Egypt? <laughs> God, you, don't, you might need to go see what happens in Egypt before you tell me to go back there. Go back there. Now I'm preserving this body. And the last time I remember, the word of God says, as Jesus put it, those who try to preserve their life would lose it. But those who are willing to lose their life for my sake would save it. Are you going to do the work? But to do the work, where do I start? You start by examining what is in your hand. What gifts has God given you? That's where you start. The next part of my point, my final two points, is your hands and feet are made to create, are made to create and are made to give. Your hands are feet, your hands and feet are made to create and are made to give. Your hands and feet are made to create and are made to give. What do I mean by that? We see in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 through to 12. It goes as follows, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. I love that. Follow me in verse two, 10. And indeed, you do, sorry, you do so towards all the brethren who are all in Macedonia. But I urge you, brethren, that you can increase more and more. Increase what? Follow me, verse 11. That you also inspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work, to work, to work with your own as it is commanded. That you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Who's the outsiders? The non-believers. Who's the outsiders? Oh, the ops. Yeah, everyone, they're all outside. But when you can walk properly before those people, they can now begin to see the light of Christ in you and they grow curious. Bro, I know I did you bad, but how come you never angry at me? How come you never seek revenge? How come you never retaliate? How come you always show me love? How come? Because when you do the work, some of us, the work we need to do is the emotional work. I'm not going back to that place of my past traumas. Maybe with the right counsel, the right support, someone could walk with you to go back to that place. And you can now see the thing that's held you bound, that's troubled in your finances, that's troubled in your friendships, that's troubled in your relationships. The gift and the grace that God has placed within you will help you see that you can no longer hurt me anymore. To tell yourself, no more PTSDs, because God has set me free. How many of us are willing to tell God? How many of us are willing to say that enough is enough? I'm not going to allow my past to haunt me, because whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. And if I am made free and he's given me gift and he's given me grace, then I shall walk free. Walk free. For he has set you free. 
God has set you free. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands what is good, that he may have something to give to those, to give to him who has need. What am I saying here? When you understand that you need, to do, you need to do the work. When you understand what is in your hand, guess what? It don't only bless you, it blesses others as well. There's a compounding effect. You could truly empty hell, not just by eye service, not just by saying, I'll pray for you, but by doing something purposeful and powerful for people in and around us. You could do something, but the question is, are you willing to do the work? Your hands and feet are made to create and are made for giving. Why are your hands and feet? Because Romans chapter 10, verse 14 to 15 goes as follows. How then shall we call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall we believe in him whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without the preacher? And how should they preach unless they are sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How then? Yeah, but I'm not a preacher. Yeah, but you preach at your workplace. Not only through your lifestyle, but through those people that you can serve those people that you can pray for. Yeah, but that's your job. No, that's our job. You've just, you just forgotten that the body has many members. And mine might be visible, and yours might not be visible to those around you, but God sees. And God is taking count. And we have a duty of care to look after those that God cares about. And that leads me to my last point. Only what you do for Jesus is what really remains. Only what you do for Jesus is what really remains. As I close on do the work part one and what is in your hands, I want us to re-examine Moses. What did God tell Moses? To, what did God ask Moses? What was the question he asked Moses? What is in your hand? And what was it? It was a rod. What did God tell Moses to do? Cast it to the ground. When he cast it to the ground, what did it become? When it became a snake, what did God tell him to do? So first God asked him a question, and then God told him tasks to do. God is asking us questions. And when he asks us questions, and we confess or share the answer to those questions, he then tells us what to do with the things he's asked of us. And when he picked it back up, it became a what? Are you guys working with me? Yeah. Something like, Manuel, we get it. You, you get it. Whatever. You get it, but you don't get it. But if you don't get it, please don't forget about what I'm about to share with you. There's an image I want to share with you, and hopefully those online can see this image. Can you guys see it? Who is that? Who is that? Symbolism of Pharaoh. Oh, you guys are good. You guys are good. Symbolism of Pharaoh. What is on Pharaoh's head? Maybe what happened to Moses was that as he threw the gift, as he threw the rod to the ground, he saw a snake and it reminded him of the very thing he's running from. Reminded him of the very thing he's running from. Oh, no, 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 Pharaoh, no, no, no. No, it's a Moses fled. God says, grab it by the tail. Grab it by the tail. Why am I sharing this? The rod symbolized. (laughs) 
The rod symbolized authority. It's authority. The snake symbolized who had authority over Egypt, Pharaoh. You're like, what? These two things? Nah, nah, God, nah, it's too big for me. God, this thing you told me to do is too big for me. God says, grab it by the tail. And him grabbing it by the tail was a reminder that God says, anything you do through me, as you trust in me, I will give you dominion. Because what did God give Adam? Dominion. Dominion. When God sends you back to the place that you were free from, you are no longer controlled because you now have dominion over those very things. And the thing that was the rod of authority and the snake of oppression and depression and anxiety and control, God says controls you no more. But when you're willing to trust in me, when you're willing to do the work and trust what I've put in your hand, you will see the people I will help you set free. Maybe God has called you to do something great. But you're like, but God, I'm not great. And guess what? That's why you're the perfect candidate. Because he is great. And he has chosen you. And anything he does through you will help bless those people before you so that they can see him. And it will be a reminder to you of Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. That let your light so shine before men that they may see your good, your good, and it will glorify your Father in heaven. Doing the work might be scary. Doing the work might be tough. But when you're willing to do the work and hold it with care, then you could do great things for God with it. Do the work. Don't be scared. Trust God. Believe what is placed in your hand. And remember, the oppressor can no longer hold you hostage again. But you have a duty of care to help others get free by sharing them with them, the one who also set you free. In Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you, O Lord, because you set us free. And the enemy cannot touch us. The enemy cannot hold us. But the enemy does try to remind us that we are bound when we are free. Lord, remind us to do the work emotionally, mentally, financially, spiritually. Because as we do the work, we are training our mind and our body to trust in you. We're training our mind and our body to say, God, I'm not going to run from the process because I know there is healing in the process. There's freedom in the process. There's liberation in the process. And ultimately, you are walking with us through every step and stage in this process. Father, Lord, I pray that you touch every heart and mind in this place. I pray that you set us free in this place. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.